Hello, my name is Kevin Sturmer, and welcome to the first episode of A Moving Tale, sponsored by The Outermost Ring. Before we get to my incredible first guest, I want to answer the question that I've been getting a lot. What is The Outermost Ring? It is the title of a musical I'm writing, and I like the philosophy so much that I made it the core of my company. It refers to the rings of a tree, and as a tree grows and expands, it adds one ring for each year of its life. Now, the outermost ring refers to the present or the current time, and I like the idea that we are always learning, always growing, and always taking new shape, while never losing sight of where we've been and what's at our core. What I also love is that we've partnered with Trees for the Future and that for each podcast episode, we donate 100 trees to be planted in their forests around the world. My first guest helped me realize that the through line of my entire life, it's been telling stories. Whether that's been stories on stage for me, stories in a conference room, stories, uh, uh, visual stories, uh, or even telling stories through music that I've written, it's all about sharing a message with an audience that needs to hear it. And if you spent any time following Outermost Ring on social, you know we talk a lot about storytelling. And this entire podcast, this moving tale, is all about meeting some incredible people and talking about what makes a great story, what it takes to put those stories together, how we effectively can share those with the world. Every person listening to this podcast right now has a story to tell, whether you know it or not. The great story you have is already inside of you. And what's equally important is that someone in the world needs to hear that story right away. You will make somebody's life change for the better if you share your voice. And that's why I'm writing musicals again that I've been thinking about for over a decade. That is why I'm doing this podcast that I've been thinking about for years. And my guest today leads a life that has been filled with wonderful stories. His father was a former police chief, his mother a journalist for CNN. He found a passion for performing at an early age that brought him all the way to the heights of Hollywood in the first season of American Idol. He's been on Broadway six times, he's Dr. Pepper's Lil Sweet, and now he's changing lives by building core confidence. He has a new book coming out and we're gonna get to all of it, so lean in because you are about to hear a moving tale from my guest, Justin Guarini. Hey, that was a great introduction. I don't even know if we have to have the interview now with that wonderful <laughs> intro, man. <laughs> I think they know all they need to no, know. No, no. There's so much more. So much more. And I'm excited about all of this. And we're going to get to this. Before we get to the role that confidence has played throughout your life, and before we get to storytelling and how the confidence can affect how we show up and tell those stories, let's take our cue from the sound of music as we are both theater people. And start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. When you read, you begin with ABC. And I remember, and you can tell me this, is there a band maybe back in the 70s that had a song with ABC that may oh, yeah. have factored into a pivotal moment in your life? And if yes, can you tell me the name of the band and that story? Uh, I love it when people do their homework. And yes, of course, um, that band would be the Jackson 5. Um, and they played an extremely pivotal role uh, actually in the mid-80s when I saw them in a stadium in Atlanta. It was the Atlanta-Fulton County Stadium in Georgia, which no longer exists, but it's where the Braves used to play. 
It was back in the days when you could sell out a stadium on a national tour for a musical act, right? I mean, it, it is very, very difficult to do that these days. But in the 80s, before we had all the different ways you could get to music and media, people were selling out stadiums. And so, in 1986, the Jackson 5 got back together on what was called the Victory Tour. And it was amazing, because Michael was Michael, right? He had had a huge success, uh, but he was not... He was not quite the Michael that he became in the late 80s, 90s, all that. And so he got back together with his brothers on tour, and I was there in the audience one night. And because my father was um, a major in the police force at the time and responsible for a lot of the security in the stadium, that was his zone. And he was also family friends with the Jacksons and, and just had his fingers in many different pies in the music industry. I got to be there in the audience, but I also got to experience backstage life with the Jacksons on this massive tour. And so the pivotal moment came for me. I remember being in the audience and I remember at a certain point looking up at the stage and seeing the lights and the smoke and the thump of the kick drum in my chest from the huge speakers and the costumes and the music and the choreography and then the energy of the audience and how it was just ebbing and flowing and it was the most beautiful moment. And I remember pointing to the stage and saying to no one in particular other than myself, I want to do that. And that was it. It was a very simple moment that I remember so vividly because now, you know, I was eight then, I'm 42 now. Now I recognize that I opened up a loop. I opened up and I called out into the world, the universe, whatever you want to call it. I called out an intention, pure, without ego, without any sort of desire for money. It was an energetic intention that I said, I just want to do that. And the subtext for that is, I want to feel this way. And what I didn't understand is, I want to make other people feel this way. But I wouldn't understand that at eight years old. I understand it now. And so if you take that moment and you see it as the open loop and you follow the genesis of how it grew, I would go from there at eight years of age and sing in the choirs at school and do the musicals at school and then go to study vocal performance and musical theater in college and then acting in college. And then I would go down and I would pursue music in Miami uh, and, and just fail miserably and come home with my tail between my legs in my early 20s. And then there would be this moment where my mom would say, hey, I saw this commercial for this thing on TV. You may want to go check it out. So I went to fox.com forward slash American Idol. And it began the journey that's history. But the moment I found myself after American Idol, after performing for 30 million people week in and week out, after making a movie, after making an album, I found myself on an elevator coming up on a stage in an arena with 30,000 people screaming my name, screaming for me, smoke, lights, music. I found myself on the stage that I, as an eight-year-old, pointed at and said, I want to do that. I was in the act of doing that thing. And so I became that person that that eight-year-old wanted to be. And then to, to put a little bow on this story, the real true genesis of that loop, which 
was closed, I would say at that moment, I became that person singing and all that stuff and the touring and to, at 22. But now at 42 years of age, I look back on that moment and I say, yes, I fulfilled that dream that eight-year-old boy had as a 22-year-old on the stage doing that thing <laughs> right in front of tens of thousands of people. But the true gift of that is that I hope that someone else, maybe an eight-year-old in the audience, pointed to me and said, I want to do that. That's legacy. And that's the power that I hope I opened a loop for someone else. And that's now what I've moved to in, in my life is to really create legacy. And that's something that lasts longer than I ever will. I love that story. There is so much to unwrap in that. <laughs> also, I love the way you told it and you made us feel like we were all there and in those moments with you. And correct me if I'm wrong, but on American Idol, you were on that stage that he first moved. You know, you want to talk about those moments where there's a fork in the road, right? And you have to make a choice and both choices seem good, but you don't know which one to make. And that's where faith comes in for me. And that can mean more than religion. Although, you know, I like to say that, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen, right? Which is a, is a quote directly from the Bible. But I found myself during the American Idol process, having gotten this yellow piece of paper that they told me was a, a golden ticket <laughs> that I was like, I don't know, nobody knew what that was, right? It was like, the free trip to LA, awesome, right? And so uh, I was in the parking lot um, about to go into work and I was working at this great DJ company and doing like a lot of bar and bat mitzvahs and weddings. And I was the, I was the kid who showed up and was like party pumping and having a great time and like would, would dance with the bubbla and keep the kids away from mom and dad who spent $30,000 on a birthday party. And so I'm sitting in the parking lot and I had the first part of the fork in the road moment where I was going to LA and going to do this thing in LA and you know, who knows, I might get cut, whatnot. But then I had been for years auditioning for this, this tiny Disney show called The Lion King on Broadway, right? Years I had been auditioning for it. I'd gotten all the way through the rounds to the to the point of being hired or not hired. And they were like, we want, we want you. And for years they're like, we want you, we just don't have the right place for you. And you know, anybody who's ever been through this process, as you no doubt know, Kevin and and, and just actors, especially in theater, you can sometimes audition for years right? Just to get a role in the chorus at times. And so that was the track that I was on. And wouldn't you know it, after I got this golden ticket, you know, the joke, right? right? Oh, oh, hey, wait, oh, it's Broadway calling, right? The, right? The, the joke, like, and literally Broadway was calling. When my phone rang, I picked it up. It was Jay Binder's office who cast The Lion King. And they're like, we finally have the role for you. We think you're perfect for it. It's going to be your Broadway debut. When can you start? And I was like, oh, well, there's this show called American Idol. Uh, it's out in LA. I'm going in a few days. Can I call you in a week? And they're like, okay, yeah, fine. So I go off to LA. It's Hollywood week designed to exhaust you, designed to intimidate you, designed to make you put you through every single pace that you could possibly be put through. And I got to the place where I had to call Jay Bender's office back and say yes or no to this bird in hand, this thing that I'd wanted to do for the majority of my life, right? 
I found myself in the Pasadena Civic Center. I was walking down the VOM, the aisle, and the Pasadena Civic Center is one of those old theaters where you can like, it's like an old church. You can smell the wood. You can smell the history of the place. It's just got this hallowed sense. And I was walking down the VOM and I looked up at the American Idol stage knowing that I had to make this choice between Broadway and between this show I'd nobody had ever heard of, but kind of felt good and made sense. And so I look up at the stage and again, I see the big American Idol elliptical logo, the lights, the dais where the judges sat, you know, with the little Coca-Cola cans and bottles stuff up there. And I looked over to my right and I saw all of the hopefuls, all the kids who were just as exhausted as I was sitting out in the audience who had been giving their all for this past four or five days. And been going through cut after cut after cut after cut, and there were still rounds of cuts to go. And yet there was joy, there was laughter. People were having such a good time, not knowing if they would be there tomorrow. And I just started crying. It came out of nowhere. And I just, I was like, oh, I'm trying to like hide my face and just, oh, okay, what's wrong? What's going on? And I looked up at the stage again. And I recognized that that was the stage where at the 50th anniversary of Motown, Michael Jackson, for the first time ever, did the moonwalk and completely turned the world on its head at the time, right? And it would then become a, such a signature for many of our lives, right? <laughs> like it's like one of those momentous moments, right? And anytime you saw it, we all tried to do it. And yet that was the stage that I was performing on. So many of the people that I knew, loved, respected, reasons why I got into this industry had performed on that stage. And something inside of me said, this is right. Like literally this voice inside of me said, this is right. And when it comes to bringing it back around to faith, when it comes back to surrendering, when it comes back to making a choice and listening to yourself to allow that voice, whether it's God, whether it's your higher self, whether it's spirit, whether it's just pure logic, allowing that voice to come out and speak to you and to listen to it, it changed my entire life. And so I called Jay Bender up and I said, thank you so very, very much for this opportunity. I've wanted to be on Broadway my entire life. <laughs> it's been part of a dream for me. But I, And please keep me in mind for the future, but I think I'm going to go for this other thing. And I did it, not knowing that, I mean, I might be, I might've been cut that very next day. Who knows? So many things were up in the air, but the, the bow on this story is that years and years, almost 10 years later, I would find myself opening my very first Broadway show, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, after going through all the highs and lows you can imagine in the entertainment industry in terms of the pop music world and, and all that, and coming back to my roots of musical theater that I loved. And the opening night party was in Times Square, in the hotel, in one of the conference rooms that I sat and I waited to audition for the very first day of American Idol. Wow. That is that is full circle. <laughs> yeah. Full, that is like so full circle, right? It's like baffling. And yet, had I made the choice to be on Broadway, it would have just been different. But isn't it interesting how it came back? back around to that place anyway, but I came back to that place in a much stronger position. Literally, instead of being in the chorus, I was a lead, a principal, you know? 
you were a principal. You were Carlos yes. in Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. You went on to do a handful of other shows on Broadway, including Wicked as Fierro. Wild. Just incredible to watch yeah. the journey. And it's interesting when you tell stories and that you really want to make sure that you've finished your story, but you don't really know when it's ever finished. So, that you know, the boat, we talked about these bows that you've been putting on top of these stories. Sometimes they happen immediately, but sometimes it takes years for you to go, oh, that is why I've been on this path. And that's truly where this faith comes in. And I want to talk about... The, managing your emotions when you tell a story. So when you're telling that story about hearing about Tina Fey, say that you've, you've lost your record contract, mm. or when you're telling a story on a Broadway stage, yeah. you need to be able to conjure up those emotions and bring the audience on the journey that they need yeah. to hear. How do you manage it so you're not getting welled up? It's not choking you in the throat and you're able to deliver the, the story or the song. Are there any techniques that you use and then finally, what, what is the role that confidence plays in all of that as well? Yeah, yeah. There's a, I mean, that's, that's a great question. And there is like, as you say, a ton to unpack in there. You know, when we start, I wanted to start at the first point of what you're saying. For those who might not know the Tina Fey story, I'll just give you cliff notes. I was living in LA. Um, I was a millionaire at the age of 22, living in a mansion with all of the stuff, the fame, the money, the fortune, the, all, everything, the cars, the what. And I was miserable. My album tanked, my movie tanked. Uh, and all I wanted to do while the rest of LA was playing was just relax on a Saturday night in my castle. I turned on the TV SNL was on, Tina Fey was reading Weekend Update, my face came up next to her head, and she said, in this week's news, American Idol star Justin Guarini was dropped from his record label, and now he looks like this, and they flipped the picture to a picture of Art Garfunkel, who has the same kind of hair, significantly older, and that was really, I mean, it's funny, it's a great joke. Problem is, is that I didn't know that I was being dropped from my record label, so I had to find that out from SNL, uh, along with millions of other viewers, and so that brought so many of the walls crashing down around me emotionally, mentally. Then when it comes to telling stories like the ones I've told or the ones you need want to tell on in any stage, the way to go about it is remembering that any good story, any good scene, any good musical theater number has a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? Basics, what we learned in grade school, speaking of ABCs. Every good scene has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it's about creating for a visual, like the roller coaster ride, right? If a roller coaster were a straight line, nobody ride them, right? You got to have the up, the down, the arounds, looping back. And, and again, it's got to arrive back at the station at the end. And so, and I love roller coasters. But when it comes to the next part of your question, which is like, how do I tell that story without getting welled up? I don't know that you should stop any of those things. Now, yes, there comes a point where it's like, I must deliver the story, right? If I'm going to break down and cry to the point where I can't speak, then that's, that's a challenge that you need to get through. But I would encourage you, repetition, repetition, repetition is going to help you through those moments. Because eventually, as you release the charge that's around that emotional moment, as you release it again and again, keep telling that story, tell it to as many people as you can over and over and over again. If you find I keep going back to this point in the story, 
and I'm living it so much in the present that it overwhelms me, then you might want to find a sort of, uh, uh, you know, speaking of fork in the roads, like think of like a railroad, right? You just throw the switch and you kind of go around a little bit. You're still going in the same direction, but you might not get so close to it because the problem then becomes, I get so close to this thing, I'm so vulnerable, I'm so open, I'm so present in the moment that I become lost in it. And when I become lost in it as the conductor of the story, as the conductor of the train, as the person who is up on the stage leading this experience, when I become lost, my audience becomes lost. So that in terms of managing your emotions, the repetition, the repetition, releasing the charge around it, because there becomes this place when you do that, a balance of, I can allow myself to go there. I can skim along the surface like one of those skates, you know, that you those skate things that you see on the water, right? And I'm still a part of it, but I'm not being dunked into it and drowning in the whole thing. When it comes to telling a story, the number one reason why we buy anything, why we pretty much do anything, is because we feel like doing it. Because we feel like buying it. We go to a musical over and over and over again. I, when I was in American Idiot, there were these people who would come every single night for weeks. Why? Because the show made them feel something. The music we love makes us feel something. The clothes that we go out to buy, we don't think, hmm, this is a this is an amazing textile, and my goodness, how well constructed it is, and it's going to, it, this is this is really going to meet some of my higher Maslowian needs of food, shelter, water, clothes. <laughs> no, we don't think any of that. We think, oh, I look good in this. I feel so, oh, this feels so good on my skin, and oh, you know what, the, you know, the XYZ person is going to really love me in this, and that makes me feel sexy or makes me feel whatever. So, when you're telling a story, you must make the audience feel something, and you yourself must feel something too. So the more that you can feel that, and the more that you can paint the picture, because you'll notice in my stories, I say, you know, I was there, and I saw the lights, and I saw the smoke and the smell of the wood. Use the senses, right? And I touched the chair in the theater and that sort of velour covering that was red that just felt like silk underneath my fingers. We all know what that feels like. Yeah. And it takes the, the listener there. I heard this. I saw that. This was the colors. That was the feeling. And so the more you can put yourself there, the more you can take the audience there as well. And then at the end of all of this, when it comes down to confidence. How does confidence play in telling your story or delivering your message, whether you're an actor, singer, a dancer, an entrepreneur, an author, an influencer, a podcaster? How does confidence come into all of that? It's confidence is just trust. Because if we look at the root word of confidence, it's confide. The English root word anyway, it's confide, which means to trust. And so when we don't confide in self, when we don't have confidence in ourselves, it just means that we don't trust ourselves. And think about all of the decisions we've made in our lives where something good happened. It was more often than not because we trusted our instincts. We trusted ourselves. We trusted ourselves enough to trust someone else. And so trust is a huge, huge part of storytelling 
and the last thing I'll say about it is, you know, one of the keys to trust is something that we are all so deathly afraid of, but I've learned to become real good friends with, and that's failure. Failure is the gateway to everything you ever want in your body, your relationships, your spirituality, your business, and anything in life. And so I'll, I'll, I'll finish by saying this. I love telling people, and, and I know you've heard this, Kevin, before, that everything you want the body you want, the spiritual connection, the relationships, the business you want, everything you want is waiting for you just on the other side of your willingness to fail and fail publicly <laughs> and in the biggest ways possible. And it's so true because look at your story, Kevin, my story, anybody who's had success and you will see that it is built on the back of massive failure. It's removing that fear of failure that allows us to succeed. Mm -hmm. And what I mm -hmm. love is that you, you talked a lot about trust when it comes to confidence and every single one of your stories, whether we're talking about seeing the Jackson five, setting that goal for yourself and you trusted yourself to follow that path, or whether we're talking about the story of seeing that stage and you trusted yourself enough to make that Lion King decision and then say, you know what? I'm going to trust my gut because that's all it is. It's about making daily decisions. And if you're consistent with making those over a period of time, suddenly large life moments happen and trusting that, yeah, it may be tricky at first. It may not all come at once. It may ramp up uh, six months or, or six years down the road, but it's going to happen if you keep at it and if it's in your heart. Yes. And I just want to in, in interject one thing. And what stops people from trusting themselves, what stops people from going through that three, six, nine, 12 month journey to get where they want to go is because they see failure and pain and even suffering as the destination, not the process. And anything that you want to change in your lives, anything, whether it's in your body, your, your relationships, your spirituality, your business, and I use those four keys because I think those, those four areas, because I think they're the four major areas of life, Anything that you want to change and expand and grow is going to come with failure. It's going to come with pain. It may come with suffering and sacrifice, but so many people don't even start the journey because they think about all the pain. They think about all the possibilities of failure and they see that as the destination and they don't recognize that it's just a part of the journey, any journey you take. Does that make sense? That uh, is wonderful. And it makes sense. And I can testify that it works. <laughs> so full disclosure, went through Justin's core confidence challenge many, many months ago. I am down 85 pounds because of the daily decisions that I made. Amazing. And once you realize yeah. and get over that fear and say that that's not your destination, then mm. suddenly the other parts of your life start to change and you realize that it's all connected. So talk a little bit about core confidence and then about unshakable confidence, the book that you have coming out. I mean, and again, I can't, I've told you this before, but to tell you publicly, I'm so proud of the job that you have done. And I'm honored that I was a guide for you just to say, Hey, have you thought about this? <laughs> and you're like, no, I haven't thought about this, but I'm going to think about it now. And then look at how that has affected so much of your life and, and the positive effect it's had on your body and your relationships and your business and your and all the things that come from shifting perspective and opening yourself up to a new possibility embracing pain and recognizing that it is 
part of the process. It just is the process. And if you stick with it long enough, eventually you begin to move from pain to the possibilities that your life has to offer. And you carve your own path along the way. And as I found myself terrifically rejected in uh, an audition for a very big musical theater show, I was stuck in pain. I was stuck in suffering. And eventually I hit this threshold where I was like, I don't, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I said, okay, how can I make sure that when I walk into an audition room, when I put myself out there, that I don't feel like another number, like I don't feel like a cattle being, you know, uh, led to slaughter. And it started me down a journey where I started discovering and uncovering the secrets that I had done subconsciously, just learned and watched from other people. I just started asking like, hey, what, what are some of your audition secrets? I mean, and I asked just huge people, like Christian Chenoweth wrote back to me and so many people, um, uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell and so many other people who are amazing performers whose names you don't know. We all just started a conversation. And I eventually, with my own experiences and looking into other people's experiences, said, look, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to write this, this book. It's called Audition Secrets. I realized there's so many of these simple concepts that are so powerful that will completely change the way people audition and have changed the way that I've auditioned. And so I wrote this book. I started doing a course and started working with actors and performers and dancers and singers, and it was great. And yet I just, it wasn't quite right. And I said, okay, what's the distillation of all of this? And I recognized that everything that I was talking with people about, all the questions they'd had for me over the years boiled down to one thing, and that was confidence mostly a lack of confidence. And so I started diving in and studying what is confidence, what it's not, how do you build it, how do you destroy it? And I came up with unshakable confidence, this unshakable confidence model. And it's four key skills that when you develop them and apply them to four key areas of your life will allow you to be, do, have, and give more than you ever thought was possible. Those skills are clarity, commitment, creativity, and certainty. And then the four key areas of life are your body, your spirituality, your relationships, and your business. And as I've explored this, I've been writing this book, Unshakable Confidence, which lays out the framework. And you, Kevin, were like at the beginning. It has grown and morphed and changed since you've seen it. Because when we talk about clarity, for example, you did the challenge, right? And we had five days. And, you know, first day was clarity. Next one was commitment. The one after that was creativity and certainty. And we really dug deep. Now, those four pillars of what I call core confidence have beneath them subsets. <laughs> like, And so what I mean is we talked about facts versus the truth in clarity, and that's a whole other podcast we can get into. The elements of clarity are facts, feelings, focus, and fruit. And then the subsets of commitment, for example, are to define, decide, declare, and direct. So it's just continuing to morph and grow. And, and so I'm really excited because this book is going to lay out the framework 
It's going to tell some of the stories that I have not shared publicly. And it's really going to help people get an idea of, okay, what is confidence? What is it not? How, oh, oh, it's a skill? Oh, I thought you just had to be born with it or to have letters behind your name on this piece of paper you stick on the wall that shows you. you know? And so I'm super excited uh, about the book and, and super excited to just open up the conversation about what it means to trust yourself and how to build that skill so that you can be, do, have, and ultimately give more than you ever thought was possible. Now, where can people go to find the book, go to find you, and are you doing one-on-one training? What's coming up for you with all of this? Yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. Um, I'm super excited. (laughs) I'm super excited. You can go to justin.club justin.club, not.com, justin.club to find out everything that you need. It's the next genesis of what it is that I'm doing with my life. I'm continuing to sing and act and dance and God willing, everything goes well in the fall with the reopening of theaters. There's uh, a show that uh, I'm working on being in now. And so like, like it's all, it's all happening. And now my big thing is like, how do I manage this without going crazy? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, that's it. You know, how do I make sure that I take care of my wife and my children and, and my, my body and my business and my connection, my spiritual con- all of that. So, you know, that's my life. And it all is handled by faith. Yes, it is. Now that brings me to our final section here. We have a game now, and this, this is sponsored by Fallout Creative, a small company with a big heart. They do live streaming, producing videography, photography, and so much more. For details, check out FulloutCreative.com. This is a little game I like to play with my guests called Fallout Facts. It's a game where I scour the internet to find fun and random facts about my guests. <laughs> oh, oh no! And find out if they are true. You ready? I mean, I, I, okay. I, mean, I think Here I'm we ready. Go. True or false? You were in an acapella group called The Midnight Voices. Yes, very true. It was an offshoot of the men's ensemble in high school. And what we would do, we called ourselves The Midnight Voices because we would go, and it was tradition for our high school, to go and serenade girls the night before graduation. And so the seniors, the year that I was a a, a sophomore, um, a freshman, taught us to do this. And and my friends and I decided, you know what, this is a really cool tradition. Let's make an album. And so we went into literally in the church basement and we recorded the Midnight Voices album. Amazing. I love this. Okay. To dat. To dat. To dat. I'll tell you. To, digi- to dat. Digital audio tape. So, that, so let, let you know when it was. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I know. I was an audio. So my, my production, my, my major in college was, was television, radio, audio production. I had to deal with that. I actually had to cut yeah. reel to reel with a, with a razor blade. That's how old I yes. am. Uh, yes. Okay. So dat. I love this. Okay. Midnight Voices. Absolutely true. True or false, Justin Guarini, in addition to being an amazing singer, you play the piano, guitar, and banjo. Oh, uh, true, true, somewhat true. So piano, yes, I learned all my theory on piano. I play guitar, which I'm the most comfortable on. And then I play banjo, but I play like the cheater banjo, which is like the banjo that's strung like a guitar. There's a banjo where it's like there's different tuning, like the banjo tuning that like Earl Scruggs would use. I play the banjo that's tuned uh, like a guitar. Now, was there a so. purpose involved for you uh, starting to uh, pick uh, pick up the banjo there? No, 
no, no, not one bit. I, you know what? I was on this show um, on on country music television, CMT, called Gone Country, and uh, I won't go into what the show is about. It's not relevant. But I won a banjo signed by Earl Scruggs on that, which is super cool. I, I have it. I love it. I'm gonna hang it up on the wall. And so that was a real banjo. I don't play it, of course, but I I can play banjo as long as it's a cheater, which is tuned like a guitar. <laughs> okay, I love that. Uh, and if anybody listening wants to revive uh, Pump Boys and Dinettes or yeah. <laughs> you know Bright Star, just call up Justin. Call me, uh, and he'll be great. <laughs> as long as you have uh, a cheater banjo. <laughs> True or false, Justin Guarini? You are a wizard of Waverly Place. I am not a wizard of Waverly Place. However, I played a reporter on the Wizards of Waverly Place, which was a Selena Gomez show. Do you remember your name? Oh. It was the same name twice. No, tell me what it was. Keith Keith. Keith Keith, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Keith Keith, of course. Here's, all, here's a very Jim Carrey-esque, goofy, big, larger-than-life, uh, like... Uh, Sort of a TMZ kind of reporter. Yeah, I have it on good authority. You were loved uh, uh, for that appearance. Oh, so, so cheers. bravo! <laughs> and the final one, true or false? You were on the Oprah Winfrey show where she told you that you have it. Yeah, I was. I actually found myself very fortunate to be on Oprah's actual show in Chicago with her on set twice, and then interviewed on her uh, the the network. Where are they now? And so. Yeah, she was very kind to me. She's just a, a lovely human being. And being on her show was one of the highlights of my career because not only did I get to be interviewed one-on-one -on -one by her, she did compliment me. And, and I think it's, you know, it's one of the highest compliments you can get in media. I find myself very, very blessed to have had that opportunity. And yeah, she's, she's awesome. Amazing. And who are any of us to... To disagree with the big O, uh, <laughs> you, you do have it. You have it in spades. Jeez. You are a wonderful human being. I thank you, thank you, thank you for coming. Thank you to have uh, have me as your as as the first guest here. <laughs> on, um, are you having movie. me as the first guest? Uh, thank having you, that, having you as, as my first guest. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, I, I suppose yeah. I could I could speak that correctly. Uh, but sure. Justin Guarini, thank you so much for giving all of us a moving tale my pleasure i really appreciate it if you enjoyed today's episode head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave a review subscribe download do all of the good things and finally thank you for taking the time to listen because time is a very valuable commodity and any of it that you want to spend with any of us is really appreciated again for the show notes and links from today's show including justin.club and links to all of his socials and everything head over to amovingtale.com everything will be there this has been a moving tale my name is kevin and you are on the outermost ring